Hello, my name is Nick Spacek, and you're listening to From an Inspired By, a podcast about soundtracks and the people who make them. On this episode, we talk with composer and musician Anthony Maiovi. Project born in Bristol in 2006, then developed in the Bohemian dystopia of Berlin from 2009, Antony Maiovi walks the line between retro synth and horror soundtracks for both real and imagined films. Recently, the musician, who is one of the co-founders of Giallo Disco Records in addition to his own endeavors, has released Church of the Second Sun, a collaboration with prog rockers Anta, as well as the latest 80s synthwave album from his Jason Priest alter ego. I spoke via Zoom with Antony Maiovi about horror, disco, Prague, composing for film, and more. so much for taking time to talk to me today i do appreciate it you're welcome thanks for inviting me it's uh i i don't get asked very often but so but i do enjoy it i do enjoy talking with people about well i mean like i mean i've been following your music i think since uh i first heard of giallo disco and that was uh, nine years ago, over nine years ago. Yeah, yeah, because it was like 2012, 2013, and uh, yeah. I was working an office job and using it uh, primarily to be able to get, uh, like, since I was sitting on a computer all day, it made it very easy to snag records, like, the instant they went on sale. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I know your, your musical history predates that, like, what what were sort of your start in, into this uh, remarkably prolific? Uh, well, I guess it depends how far back you want to go. Um, certainly, I mean, 
so the story I always tell people, which is is the true one, is that I didn't wasn't really particularly interested in music until I was like fourteen, and then I heard that this band, the Jesus Lizard, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this whole world of possibilities opened up to me because up until that point I really thought that in order to be a musician you had to uh, have some you had to have some kind of talent. Oh, what? Okay, we've got to move <laughs> already. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, we were talking about Jesus Lizard. Uh, yeah. So up until that point, I thought in order to be successful in music, you must have you must like have some kind of talent, or like be good at something, or at the very least be good looking. <laughs> um, and the Jesus Lizard kind of disproved all of that. <laughs> um, I understand now musically, it's like very, uh, they, they have an enormous amount of talent, but it was like, it sounded so wrong and scratchy. And there was David Yao was such a weird looking guy. It was like, it just kind of like, oh, I didn't realize this was an option. You can just do it. Um, and so, and then I had just went on like a series of like, oh, I didn't realize you could do that moments like all throughout my teenage years, like um, the first Tangerine Dream album I ever heard was uh, Green Desert, which was, I believe, like a East German only record that that was released in like the late 80s, but it was of 70s experiments. And the first track is like 20 minutes of just a droning synth with a a drummer playing over the top of it. It was really, and I was like, oh, I didn't know you could, well, you can just make a record that's like a drone, droning sense of a drum. It's like, um, uh, I heard Anschluss and Neubauten for the first time, and it was like, you, okay, so you don't even need traditional instruments. There's all stuff like, like, oh my God, I can't believe you, you can actually do these things. Um, and not only, like, because I'm sure that there were people doing kind of like arty music out there, but in the sense of, I mean, I guess people listening, this is pre-internet. So it's like everything I think basically found its way to me. Like I didn't go necessarily looking for the stuff. And when I did go looking for the stuff, that's when I like found um, Mertzbo, uh, White House, um, and probably more accurately, uh, uh, Goblin and the whole of the Italian progressive rock stuff. Uh, so it was kind of a, a strange journey. And then eventually, next thing I knew, I was 21 and I've been like, I've been trying to write songs and play music for, for a while. Um, and I also, I was a bit bloody minded. So me and a friend <laughs> decided to form like a, a, like a, a noise rock band that was, uh, that we thought everyone would hate. And then we, we did quite well. Like, you know, for a noise rock band, for a post-2000s noise rock band. It's it's so funny. Like, uh, I think, like, Tony Giles was probably the first person to point this out, but I've definitely noticed it myself. Like, the fact that, like, so many people who are kind of in, like, the uh, composing uh, slash, like, soundtrack realm come from, like, this punk and metal and like noise rock background which i i I think it it, some of it ties into like the cinematic influences kind of going back and forth for both but 
like what was it for you like you mentioned like getting interested in goblin like did you was it the films then the music or vice versa um i saw i mean we also i grew up in the uk so a lot of this stuff was like unavailable when i was growing up um i remember when the head censor retired in it was 1999 a lot of films that i was previously unable to see except through pirate tapes were were made available in the cinema like i dragged all my friends to see texas chainsaw massacre in the cinema even even though they didn't particularly like it but i was like completely enthralled by this uh, the experience of being able to see it in the cinema um uh i saw i bought suspiria on tape in yeah must have been 1999 when it was available uncut eventually um uh and it was just like this is incredible this, this music is absolutely incredible and i there was a label i think this is with uh, dagger red mm-hmm. yeah it's still around um, uh and i was buying those records from uh, replay in bristol and like the people who worked there were trying to convince me they were bootlegs but i was like it didn't matter to me that if they were bootlegs or not because i just wanted to have these records and i would listen to them completely out of context of the movie um and it just became part of my regular listening habits like um i couldn't find i didn't have a copy of the shining soundtrack for, for years so i just went to the classic there was a shop in bristol which is i really shouldn't understate how important what's called bristol classical discs and the guy who worked there was doing his dissertation in uh atonal composition and so i just went in there one day i said hey i just watched the shining where do i get more of this stuff and he was like oh you need christoph pendreski you need uh Ligeti, you need um to get to bella bartok and i just bought tons <laughs> of cds of like i have and still there's a two disc EMI CD of Christoph Pendretsky's orchestral works, which is still the best recorded album I, I think I own. It's like, it sounds so good. I mean, it's utterly terrifying, but it's like <laughs> the recording's so pristine, so well done. Um, yeah, and then all of a sudden it just became, I was just listening to all these things out of context. So when did you start? Uh... I guess, making the music for which you're known now. So this is all this stuff. So I was playing and touring in a noise rock band, um, listening to lots of weird records. And then somehow, and I think it was through an article written by William Bennett from White House, um, I heard uh, some Italo disco for the first time. Um, now, I didn't really know William like that well. I've met him since, and he's a lovely guy. Um, but at that time, my only understanding is that uh, uh, William Bennett hates pretty much everything, um, mu- like musically. So it was my understanding. It was like ignorant, but you know, it was my understanding. So if he's really enthralled by this strange genre of like Italian disco music, it's probably worth at least like finding out something. About um, and then I was completely, yeah, I was completely en- enamored by it, like, immediately. Um, there was a compilation called, um, uh, by iRobots called Italian Electro, uh, which had, like, Spacer Woman, uh, Alexander Robotnik. Um, who else was on it, that? Um, 
electric workers, like just classics, like real classics, like bangers, really basically. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, this is great. This is like, um, yeah. It felt like it was influenced by a bunch of stuff I already liked. Like it felt like it was more influenced by uh, like the British, like by like Gary Newman and Depeche Mode and. Uh, uh, What's another good example? Uh, like Human League, it felt like it was uh, envisaged, and it felt like it was like kind of taken out of context, and it almost sounded like it was from like a completely other planet, like of, or an alternative timeline. And then, yeah, and then you get into the deeper into it, and then you're like, oh, so all these soundtracks, all these John Carpenter soundtracks, and all these disco records were made on the same gear. Like the same drum machine, same synthesizers. And then you just start putting these pieces together. And that was, that was when the concept of like, oh, what if there was like a deliberate conscious attempt to kind of blend all these like uh, schlocky B-movie soundtracks I really, really love and all the Italo disco that I really love into this project of like a, a lost composer because there was still like not that in much information. Like, and I know there was a documentary a few years ago about Italo disco, but it was like, I didn't even know there was a scene for this stuff <laughs> in Europe. And it wasn't until I think I did a gig randomly in Bristol of all places, like where, a place where I almost never did uh, gigs is Antonomiovi. And I ended up playing with some guys from Brighton and they were like, going, hey, there's like in Europe, there's like, there's IFM, there's uh, all these people who are like seriously into this stuff. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing has been like kind of evolving for you. And I got caught up with that. Um, where are we? We were at about 2009. So in 2000, so at the time I had a composing job in the late 2000s working for theater, like doing, like traveling around with the company, doing the soundtrack live. And then the financial crisis hit. Uh, and then there was just no work. Uh, so I got a job in a pub for a, for a year and saved up some money and then uh, packed up and went to Germany uh, and then started on like really heavily producing a lot of uh, music. There seemed a lot of interest in the kind of stuff I was doing. Uh, I did the, so the album, The Thorns of Love in 2010. I did the Zolowski. EP on uh, Compact Sister Label Fright in 2010. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think of the whole story. Yeah, and then I just bummed around doing that for years. And then I met Ryan Payson, the director of Yellow, who was crowdfunding the movie at the same time that we were crowdfunding the first release on Jello Disco. And then we became friends. And then the rest is history, I guess, is what you'd say. No, uh, yeah, that was uh, the 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 score for Yellow was how I first uh, came across your music, and it it is kind of fascinating because that was I mean that was an early Death Waltz release, yeah, and so like that sort of coincided with like my discovery of this whole uh, genre of, of music, which I mean, like it was just like oh wait there's more like there are people doing this originally like like doing like when i started discover like faux film scores and like imaginary soundtracks and things like that it 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 was just like oh cool this is a like and just 
dove down that rabbit hole. And it's really interesting is that out of every scene that I've been in, the imaginary soundtrack people are like the best. They're like such, they're such a nice group. I don't think we've all hung out ever, but like uh, I hung out with Tim Fife and like Tim's like one of the soundest people you'll ever meet. Um, there's Matt Akers. I don't know if you know Matt Akers. Like I know him from the noise forum days. Mm. Like he's also been doing this for a long time. Um, uh, uh, repeat of you in, mm-hmm. he's a sound, sound bloke. It's all, all really nice people. All people I would have a beer with. <laughs> now, like you've gotten to do like, uh, through doing soundtracks and also just your, your own albums gotten to just explore all of these different like sub sub genres, I guess of, you know, like you have before and after the bomb, which is very, you know, zombie like, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you've, you've done like a documentary about, uh, Giallo, um, and then, like, on top of all of that, like, you have the the Jason Priest, uh, oh, yeah. which I, I, I find that, f- like, the idea that you already have an alias and then now your alias has an alias. Well, I mean, I kind of liked this, uh, this idea, although it was probably... Uh, stolen from Danny Wolfers, the concept of having an alias who has an alias who has an alias, like of a rabbit hole of these things. But it was more, unless something fits into, like as a project evolves, the parameters that it can operate within get uh, smaller. So you get to go, oh, okay, okay, now this is outside of this. How do I tie it in with uh, this project? And you go, well, eventually you can't. Like, so Jason Priest, like Jason Priest, started off as an Antonio Maiovi project. Like, and I was going to put it out under that name, and then I realized that it's like in order for this thing to have a life, it has to have its own identity, its own backstory, its own bio. It has to exist as a separate thing. Um, it's the exact same thing with the, that Acid album I put out uh, at, the, at the end of the year under the name uh, Gola Duncan Idaho. It was just. Um, there was no way to put it out under any other name. Like, and I didn't have one and that was seemed the silliest. Um, well, and then like, I loved like the part of the reason I, I, I mean, like I've been a fan of your work, obviously like off and on for like almost a decade now, but, um, that church of the second son album was just like, it, it fits so nicely into, I guess, like the continuum of what you've done, but it's also just so different on top of it. Like, I mean, I think anyone who's been listening to like the music you've been making, like we'll see like where it falls in, in, in that lineage. But I think if you like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, but if you haven't like, but if you just, I think for folks who are just like, oh no, like he's a, a, a horror disco guy, like would just be like, what is this? And it's just like, no, it's like, it's proggy as shit. And like, I love it. Like it's, I mean, it, I mean, thank you so much. I, I shouldn't downplay how much, uh, 
impact uh, the the Anta Boys had on the sound of that record because I really that that was really the main goal of like going okay what if I was to compose something for another band or like uh, half the guys in there work as um, sound engineers and recording engineers so they're very uh, specific over the sounds they want to get um, I really wanted to do something uh, that. I feel like melodically, it's kind of very much in my wheelhouse. And I also was thinking, I think one of the reasons why I never really fit in with the, well, fit in ter- terribly well with the synthwave scene is that my influences are decidedly much more 70s than they are 80s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like, and when I hear something like uh, Robert Parker, I don't know if you know Robert Parker's music, from, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think he's yeah. from Finland. But then it turns out he's Swedish and then I get punched in the face. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Robert Parker. Um, his music is definitely 80s. It's full of like DX7 electric pianos. Uh, it's like very 80s. Whereas like my fetish is for string synthesizers, for mellotrons, like very 70s instruments. Like um, I'm a big fan of like uh, mid 70s um, King Crimson, for example. And it was, it's, and um, a big fan of magma, you know. And this is, I feel like this is something that's kind of, I, I need to learn to embrace a bit more, even though the fashion is definitely for the 80s, though it's probably for the 90s now. It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's got to sound really, um, start sounding like My Bloody Valentine. Just just, just a, a wash of fuzz and noise, and yeah. you've gone all the, the way back thing. to your start. I already formed a noise rock band here, so. <laughs> but we'll get, we'll get on sub pop any day now. What was it like, um, like in terms of uh, working with the the folks from Anta, like uh, collaborating with a band essentially, as opposed. I mean, it's really. I mean, I've known those guys for so long. Um, like uh, good friends, uh, it was really easy. It actually started on the process started years ago when we were re- we rehearsed all the material together, kind of worked out a few of the kinks. Uh, people could kind of work out what exactly they were playing, and then we just started building the tracks up like a normal project. Like uh, drummer would come in, bass player would lay down their parts. Bays for keys, and then we spent far too long mixing the whole thing. <laughs> um, but it sounds great. Like Joe did an excellent job on the mixes. So. Now, like, given that your releases have been on a, a variety of different labels, like, do you find that having like a a band camp really helps folks get like a, a an idea of everything you do as opposed to like having to like track down like all of these different avenues what well, i mean it's very specific to uh, one second the cat wants to get out and the door is closed um uh, yes, absolutely. The uh, Bandcamp is an uh, essential feature. I mean, I know that I have people who uh, will check out my releases, and they'll, but they'll dip, dip in and out. Some people are way more interested in the... Some, 
some people are way more interested in the fake soundtrack stuff. Some people are much more interested in the kind of dancier side of things. Um, but I have separate uh, band camps for uh, like Acid Vatican, the band I have with, uh, with Gianni from Jalo Disco. Like, uh, we have a separate band camp, uh, Homo Agent, the band I have with Triana's. We have a separate band camp. It's, um, I'm guessing at some point Jason Priest is going to have to have its own separate band camp as well. Um, but uh, until then, I don't, I don't really know. It's like it's useful for people to to go in. Although sometimes I find the design it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, and I really tried to compile stuff. Like I had all these releases, which um, which I called um, a suitcase of twelves, which are just like compilations of all my singles, like an EPs. Um, but I found it, I used to find this with net labels a lot, like in the like in the early days of Bandcamp when you would hear something on like a cool net label and then you would look at their Bandcamp and then it was just like hundreds of releases, with yeah. like one or two tracks on it. And I was like, I was like, I don't know how to cope with this. Like, um, I really like, I, I really want to get like, you go, you click one thing and then you get even if it's like 60 tracks, I find that way easier to cope with, like, uh, from, from my anxiety to, um, like, go, okay, so I just click through these, and if, I, if there's a bunch of stuff I like, then I'll buy it. But um, if I have to click 40 releases, then I'll just, I'll quit. I, I will just give up. Uh, so there is an issue with the layout of, of Bandcamp, especially when I've released so much music. Uh, but I don't have a solution for it, so... I mean, obviously, given that, you know, you've ran your own label and stuff like that, um, like there's an, an appeal to the, the physical format for you. But, like, do you have, like, a particular preference as to whether or not... Format-wise? Yeah, like, whether it's, like, physical or digital? Uh, I mean, when I listen to stuff at home, I, um, I listen to records. Like, I love collecting records. I like having them i like the way they sound um uh, i like the library aspect of it i also like the fact that you can look through it and then you find something it's like oh i didn't even open this like i know like um i know that there's a sealed copy of uh Boron and the club of gores black earth in my shelf that like at one at some point i'll just like oh i'm gonna listen to that right now and then go this is a good record but you know, like when I'm on the go, like I put stuff on my phone, I listen on headphones. So it's, yeah. The only thing I, I just can't justify the space of CDs mm -hmm. these days. That's the only thing, which is a shame because there's a bunch of stuff that um, I would love to have uh, on vinyl that you can't get. And especially like from the noise days, like there's a whole bunch of CDs. And there's something kind of, yeah. Uh, at some point you have to, admit to uh, how we can't just have everything on vinyl because it would be an ecological nightmare. <laughs> so uh, I don't have a solution for that. So what, what are you uh, working on now? Oh, so like I said, um, uh, I have a, like a noise rock punk band here. Uh, we're recording uh, slowly but surely. Um, hoping to do some shows together. We're obscenely loud, which is very, it's really fun to do. Um, the drummer, she has, um, 
a bunch of triggers on her kit, which are connected to um, to a Kawai R100 drum machine. I don't know if you know this drum machine. Not familiar with it. It's but... the Sound of Wax Tracks Records. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, so yes, yes, like, I am familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, if you've heard any, like, Thrill Kill Cult, uh, early ministry, like that huge snare sound that's on, like, Frontline Assembly records, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is the machine, the Kawai R100, which I managed to snag very cheap um, um, once I arrived in America, uh, which is, uh, it's... At first, it sounded really cheesy, but now it just sounds awesome because, especially, we're so loud that, that having the drum machine like cutting through all the things just makes it more brutal and, I guess, closer to big black or something like that. <laughs> um, I'm working on new Jason Priest stuff. I'll do it slowly. Um, there's there's always talk of film things, but of course, like with the way the the Earth is at the m- moment, it's. Uh, all the stuff that I had lined up pre-pandemic has gone. Uh, and I don't know whether it will come back. Maybe I'll get a phone call or an email saying, oh, this, um, we're, we're, we're ready to get going. There's a couple of projects I can't talk about yet, sadly. Um, so now I'm mostly concentrating on like writing new material for Jason Priest, working on the noise rock band. Uh, I did two kind of fake soundtrack albums uh, over the last uh, year, which uh, I don't have any concrete release plans for. There's also the uh, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue rescore I did, which got completely screwed up by the pandemic because I had all these shows lined up to do it live. And then I don't know whether it will come back. So at some point, uh, I think I'll just put it on Bandcamp for one of the Bandcamp Fridays. But maybe I'll wait a few months after because there was just a huge blitz of releases of mine over the last month or so. So it's, yeah, I'll give everything some space maybe towards the end of the year. Maybe for Halloween, actually. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, and then I'll include a file like of everything mixed together so you can sync it up to the movie if need be. Um, but that's it. Yeah, we're just, I'm just kind of hoping now that things are opening up to do some more uh, do some shows again because i really i really missed doing all that stuff i have one concert upcoming uh end of next month in well end of july let's say because i don't know when will this go out um probably end of july okay so uh, i'm doing a yay gods which is like my occult electronics project um at the end of uh, in Detroit at the end of July. Uh, Jason Priest has his first live show here in New Haven uh, in mid-August. Um, uh, my wife and I are going to start like a Acid House techno party here in New Haven also, end of July. Um, so slowly things are happening. Uh, I'm trying to learn to be patient in my old age of like, it's okay if commissions don't come through all the time. Um, especially as I feel like it's better for me to be, it's better for my sanity and for the project in general, if the right project finds me rather than me just doing any job because I need to work. If that makes sense. That makes all the sense in the world. Like (laughs) I was genuinely um, honored to do housewife. Uh, I really felt that that movie fit with my sensibilities and like my, 
my style and my interests in film scores. Uh, but for example, I don't think I would have been able to do Baskin. I don't think I would have necessarily been a good fit because it was um, much more uh, I don't know, intense as a, as a, Very. As a film. <laughs> um, whereas there's a kind of dreamlike melancholy to Housewife, which kind of like resonates a lot more with my work. Like, so, uh, and, uh, in terms of the music that I like to hear. You know? So uh, I hope that the, yeah, when people are looking for potential composers and, and, they, they, and they need someone who's kind of and a, a little bit more seventies than eighties, <laughs> like this, that's the other thing. It's like, it's not that I don't want to do like synth scores or anything like that. It's just that there are so many other people who would be better suited to, to that kind of world. But if you want this like seventies, Jallo kind of score, then like I'm, I'm probably a good, good fit. Like I'd love to, um, like I'd love to do a Peter Strickland movie. Yeah. I'd, like I think it's going to be nigh on impossible to, to, <laughs> to do anything like that because the um, is it Tim Gain? It's Tim Gain, right from Stereo Lab. He does yep. all the yeah, like he does like, like In Fabric is one of my favorite films and scores of like the last. 20 years easily so um but that's definitely in my wheelhouse let's say well uh i i, I will point folks a good in, word. yeah I, I will uh i will appoint folks in the direction of uh, where they yeah. can go that in uh in in, in my my wrap-up after this interview uh anthony thank you so much for taking time to talk no, to me a this, pleasure. this has been a channel. lot of fun Anthony Myovi for speaking with me. You can find the musician's work on Twitter at Myovi, that's M-A-I-O-V-V-I, and his website is Myovi.com, as well as Myovi.bandcamp.com. You can find links to purchase all of the music you heard on the show in the show notes for this episode, which are at fromaninspiredby.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at fromaninspiredpod and can be found on Instagram at fromaninspiredby. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Click those follow and subscribe buttons, please. Also, please hit up the website and click on the Aid and Assistance button to help pay for web hosting and long-distance fees, and remember to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. We'll be back in two weeks, talking about the story of late 90s indie rocker's luxury in the recently released documentary Parallel Love. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.